0: The Yow into New York, Yow into New York, Yow into New York. Welcome to Crash Course Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes composer Joseph Bertolozzi, who hails from Beacon, New York, with a penchant for exploring unorthodox tools, timbres, and sound environments. Joe's sonic ambitions are taking him to new heights and to new nations. Many may know Joseph for his previous album, Bridge Music, released back in 2009, and composed using elements of percussion produced only by New York's Mid Hudson Bridge. The album was a Billboard success the exhibit a Hudson Valley treasure, and a personal favorite. Well, to build on this project, Joseph's newest album, Tower Music, or Musique de la Tour, will be composed using percussion sounds only made using the Eiffel Tower, and will be released by Innova Records, the label of the American Composers Forum, on April 29, 2016. Here Matt and Joseph chat about what it takes to record such large-scale projects, and the challenges he must face when trying to promote and share them. Also hear him chat about his upbringing, his influences, his writing process, and what it's like to compose music both with standard instrumentation and to use sound from structures. And so, in the interest of keeping this intro abridged, here's presenting Matt Storm and Joseph Bertolosi.
1: Welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. My guest today, Joe, was actually recommended to me by his daughter, Sarah, who I'm a friend friend with, a regular at the way station. Joe, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me on. This is great
1: my pleasure um so um sarah came to me uh probably a little over a month ago now and said hey my dad does music would you be interested in having him on your show and of course i said yes i'd love to what does he do what's his newest album And he's like oh he played music on the eiffel tower i'm sorry what and so from that moment on i was like well absolutely i have to have him on so i'm very excited to talk about tower music um and uh, which is your new record, which is coming out uh, uh, spring next year. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's coming out April 29th.
1: Excellent. And so this I guess let's start by you telling people a little bit about this project, how it came to be. I know it's the follow-up for Bridge Music. Um, so maybe just give people, the listeners a little bit of background on Tower Music and how it happened.
2: Yeah, um, I have a, a solo percussion rig that I play called The Bronze Collection, and um, I had just finished a performance and my wife was kind of, you know, mimicking the way I swing my arms when I play. And she was standing there a poster of the Eiffel Tower. And she went bong. And I said to myself, you know something, everything vibrates. That would work. Of course, my wife immediately regretted having done that
3: because
2: <laughs> she knew what was coming. Um, I, for my part, immediately realized that I didn't speak French. Um, you know, didn't have any contacts in Paris. So I said, is, is there some way I can do this here in the United States? And at the time, the Henry Hudson quadricentennial was about five, year, was five years in the future. And Gustav Eiffel was really uh, uh, known as a bridge builder, bridge engineer. So I was thinking, uh, well, maybe a bridge over the Hudson River would be the right kind of a project, and there would be collateral publicity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm really condensing this. I. Uh, Pitched the project to the New York State Bridge Authority. Uh, they vetted me to find out that I was a that uh, was a real musician or not. Um, this was kind of a an awkward time. Uh, this was in tw- 2004, and uh, the uh, the Twin Towers disaster was pretty fresh in people's minds. And sure. instead of seeing a bridge as just like a uh, you know an avenue to get from one side of the river to the other, now people were looking at it as a target. So they uh, they vetted me. They gave me permission to go out and record the surfaces of the bridge, all the spindles, the guardrails, the girders, and my my pitch was, uh, I will write a song with those sounds, and if you don't like you don't like it, then we're done. Um, if you do like it, then I want you to give me permission to use your name to try to raise financing to do this project, which was supposed to be a live concert, and um, they loved the initial, uh, uh, song, which is Bridge Funk, which is on the, uh, on the Bridge Music album, and so they gave me the go-ahead, so I went ahead, completed the album, um, the album came out in 2009, um, we can get back to the live event later on if, if you have time, but the album came out, and after the album was out, it went to number 18 on the uh, billboard charts, I was pretty, pretty, uh, Uh, Happy about that on the classical crossover charts. um, I said, you know something. This was supposed to be the Eiffel Tower originally, and now I have something to show for what I did, which is far easier to do than to explain this. I mean, I sure people I knew and friends who were with me didn't even understand this, you know. So uh, I. You know, got up off the couch and I Googled <laughs> the Eiffel Tower and said, okay, hey, who, who, who owns it? And nominally, the mayor of uh, Paris is in charge of everything that happens within uh, the city limits. So I uh, wrote to his office several times, finally got through, never thinking that I would. Uh, I got an appointment to pitch the idea to the Eiffel Tower administration, showing them what I did on the bridge. and And, and the thing that, that makes my projects uh, unique among these kind of um, environmental sound things. Is that I write music using only the unprocessed sounds of the bridge. I mean, there are other recordings of walls and bridges and buildings. And actually, there was an artist who recorded the Eiffel Tower a couple years before I got there. Um, And every one of those pieces are either the music is heavily processed or there's other instruments um, uh, and my music just uses the raw sounds. Um, so they liked that aesthetic. They gave me the go-ahead. I went in 2013, recorded everything, finished the writing music, writing the music in 2014, and now the music is coming out in the album 2016.
1: Wow. So it's a long process to do a project like this because you first have to get the sounds recorded and then actually compose the music.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, you got to get permission to sure. you know, go on these places, and that took a lot of time. And then finding the financing. Um, I mean, if you did that timeline, you see it's 12 years from the initial idea to the the final Power Music album. Um, you know, I had to, I had to bring a team of seven people with me to Paris to, to record this, and it was worth it. But you know, it's a lot of money. And, uh, sure. That, that's that's part of the art. Any any band member will tell you. You know, they're trying to raise money for their next album or, you know, a rehearsal space. That's just part of it. This is just ri- really large.
1: Well, the the little bit I was able to, to listen to, the the preview, as it were, sounds incredible. I mean, from, from just the quality of sound per strike, you know, and, and in the percussion, and then the compositions that you were able to create with it, um, I just – I think it's phenomenal. It's unlike anything I've ever heard of, and I've been doing this podcast for a while, and I've also yeah. – been listening to music my whole life and I, I, it's unlike anything i've ever heard before thank you um, so um clearly obviously you um have roots in music i'm sure that go back a while um growing up were you always into classical heavy percussion related stuff or did you kind of listen to all sorts of kind of music growing up
2: i, I listened to everything I, I was um i was i think five years old when the beatles came over, and I remember them on television, and um, that was really my first um, idea that I wanted to uh, write music, write songs, and you know, I, uh, as I grew up, I was in different bands, I wrote songs, I did all different kinds of things, I studied music, uh, and then I also appreciated classical music as well, so it wasn't just the Beatles, you know, it was all the pop music of the time, it was uh, classical music. Uh, whatever folk music you could get out of libraries. Um, I, I was just interested in all, all kinds of music. Um, I'm trained. My My principal instrument is the pipe organ. I make wow. My li- yeah, I, <laughs> I know, right?
3: That's <laughs> yeah. awesome.
2: I make my living. Uh, uh, I play for a church, and I play for a synagogue, direct the choirs, and I play for all the services weddings bar mitzvahs that's like my niche and um i picked up the percussion thing uh accidentally my wife bought me one gong for christmas um and you know being a composer i was 45 years old at that time i'm 56 now i was 45 years old when she bought me the gong so i was already a mature musician um you know i had the the knowledge of a someone who was interested in Different cultures and music, and and you know we perf- had, had performed. I not only performed in churches, but I actually toured Europe a couple of times as a as a concert organist. So you know I brought a, a wide, uh, a broad perspective to music making. So when she bought me that one gong, I said, "Hey, you know this gong is a Javanese gong, and and they make the different kinds of gongs in um, Indonesia and different ones from Switzerland and." The next thing you know, that one gong, you know, they they replicated into this 70-gong setup that I have in the bronze collection.
1: Wow. Um,
2: Which, like I said, when my wife, when when she saw the light bulb go over my head uh, for the tower music, she remembered buying me one gong and then it turning into this this huge uh, project. So she's very careful now what she says around me.
1: I'm sure she, she thinks about things she says does expresses going forward in case it might spawn another idea that could be expensive. (laughs) Um, So you said that you've played in other bands and you've toured um, is, so the tower music and bridge music obviously come from an inspiration of this, this interest in percussion. Do you think that in the composition of those albums, you have a specific influence or is it just kind of an amalgamation of all of the things that you've listened to over the years?
2: I think it's probably closer to the, the latter for this purpose. You know, if I'm going to write a piece for a singer and a piano, or I'm going to write a piece for a, a stage band, those instruments have delineated uh, sounds. They have delineated compass, you know, the lowest note and the highest note. Um, so you're you're pretty much writing for something that is a, a, a pre-known uh, situation. <coughs> With the bridge and with the Eiffel Tower, I really had no idea what I was going to get. Um, I didn't even allow myself to start um, thinking about what kind of music I would write. Because I might, you know, like with the Eiffel Tower, my joke was, we, to, we literally came back with 10,000 samples. Um, and I didn't know it was going to be that big when I went over there. But my joke was, you know, what if I go over there recording and I come back with, you know, 500 B-flats? Then what what am I going to write, you know? Right, sure. (laughs) So, you know, uh, and I think, so, let me finish that idea. Um, So, you know, I didn't even give myself the luxury of uh, thinking what kind of music I was was writing. I was just luxuriating in the fact that I had done the bridge, and now I'm doing the Eiffel Tower, and I'll sort through all those sounds when I get back, build my virtual instrument,
1: and then I'll take it from there. And so when recording the Eiffel Tower itself, is the sound that we're hearing the raw sounds? Like, could someone just go up to the Eiffel Tower and produce those sounds hitting it? Or is it, was there more, te- there more tech involved than that? Well, on
2: both the bridge and the tower, we use contact microphones. A contact microphone adheres to a surface and picks up the vibration of that surface. Um, and the reason we did that is, um, you know, uh, you want to minimize extraneous sounds. So, so in, in both cases, we were way high up in the air. And you want to minimize the birds flying by. You want to minimize an airplane going overhead. Um, so, you know, the sounds that are in the air around it are very, very minimalized. And it basically picks up the vibrations of the surface. So if you strike it with, you know, you strike a surface with a, a rod or a drumstick, and you hear it in the air, almost, almost to a to a, almost to a, a sample. It will sound different um, through that mic because that mic is picking up only the vibration of the surface. It's not, you know, picking up any anything else around it. So, mm, kind of, you know, you can kind of get a sense if you strike the surfaces. But unless you really put your ear up against it and then strike it, you know, it's going to sound a little different. Nonetheless, having said all that, they are the sounds, literally the sounds of the Eiffel Tower. Uh, no processing, no, uh, you know, no delay, no reverb, uh, nothing. It's just the raw sounds.
1: So... um you alluded to the fact that you've written, besides writing, the, composing these two albums, you've written other kinds of songs, contemporary stuff, you know, stuff for, for a standard in, instrument arrangement. Do you find that that's easier to do or something like this is easier to do? Um, or are they both difficult and, and why would that be? Um,
2: well, again, if I'm writing for a standard instrumentation, I already have that knowledge of what those what those instruments can do, you know right. of course if you if you know a player, then you can bring that into it You might write a piece specifically for the strengths of a player, maybe a trumpet player is really good on the high notes, so you'll write those notes for that that person so to you know the quick qu- answer to your question um, is you know writing for the standard ensemble is uh quicker and easier, plus you have all the notes <laughs> you know right. the Eiffel tower. It, it was like going into an airplane hangar uh, and seeing an airplane uh, completely disassembled to every last nut and screw and then somebody saying, okay, put this together and fly it.
1: Well, you clearly were, uh, can do that now because you did this. So <laughs> yeah. I guess next, the next next job is to build an airplane. Your wife yeah. will come home and you'll have half an assembled airplane in your room. Uh, so um, besides composing and writing and playing organ, do you have anything you prefer to do to decompress when you're not writing music? Or is writing music your favorite kind of hobby and pastime as well as what you do professionally?
2: Um, I like to read. I think that's probably my favorite non... It's my my favorite, you know, pastime like you said. I don't get a chance to do it very much. I usually do it just before I go to sleep. Um, I've been... As I said earlier, I've been working on this particular project for 12 years, and that's 12 years of writing letters and going down dead ends and raising money and mixing and writing and and everything that goes along with it. So I'm hoping... Now I'm very happy the album is done. You know, whether commercially it tanks uh, or not is immaterial to me because I, I feel that I've written a real quality piece of art music that can be enjoyed... By everybody, you know, when I say art music, I'm, It's like art music in the vernacular, you know. Um, a good example would be like, um, if you think of the uh, romantic poetry uh, that you know most of us learned when we were kids in, in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very very high flowing ideas and highfalutin language and references, and then you have somebody like Walt Whitman who just uses plain. You know, brutal phrases, just plain and unadorned, and and you can understand it immediately. And it's still artistic, but it's it's done in a vernacular. Um, so that that's what I consider tower music and bridge music, that they are um, art music in the vernacular. That you know, I, I know that not everybody's going to like uh, it. I mean, not every nobody likes everything, and I understand it. That's cool. <laughs> but the, the wow. music is not so abstract you know if i say it's classical or art music um it really it, it runs the gamut from um uh just aggressive percussion to avant-garde to um uh, like a There's a waltz on there so i i, I tried to uh, do as much as i could with uh with the sounds that i had and not and not tell myself well i can't write you know, this waltz and I can't write these cadences because that's not in my my wheelhouse. No, the idea was to write music with the Eiffel Tower and whatever came out would be my music.
1: And and it and it was. And it's funny, too. There were moments today when I was listening to it where I forgot for moments that it was even the Eiffel Tower. Like, it's just, eventually you just kind of tune into it just being percussion. You're not really thinking, oh, he's playing the Eiffel Tower. Eventually you just kind of, It's music. It's notes. You've got it. You've got it exactly.
2: That's exactly what I was trying to do.
1: Um, I want to go back to something you would mentioned briefly before about how, with bridge music, that you had done a live concert as well. Is that correct?
2: No, that was the original intention. Oh, okay. Um, The idea, because I think it would be, my God, I mean, it's cool enough to to create an album like this, but how about if if you could stand there and watch you know, actual performers, you know, drumming on the bridge and hearing the music. Um, as I said, the uh, Henry Hudson quadricentennial was coming up five years in the future when I started tower music, uh, bridge music in 2004, and... um as I got closer to it, you know, I had I had certain things to take care of. I had to finance the recording and the mixing and all that stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I knew that when we got closer to 2009, excuse me, that would be the time. Excuse me, that would be the time to raise the money and and find sponsors to do the concert. Um, we figured it would cost about three million dollars just to uh, have the live event. That's 24 musicians uh, drumming on the bridge with um, microphones and um, uh, uh, cables going to a uh, an audio truck with directors and jumbotrons on both sides of the river and, uh, you know, a stage with jumbotrons and speakers. So you'd have audio directors and, and uh, visual directors. We'd need, like, about two weeks of rehearsal on the bridge with the uh, musicians and riggers to put everything up. Just to give you some perspective, an audio truck costs like twenty thousand dollars a day. Wow, so you know this was something that couldn't be financed by the local chamber of commerce right? sure. I, I went I went to them for the things that they could provide for us, which was a wonderful a wonderful uh, ribbon cutting ceremony when when it actually went live uh, when when the installation went live but um this was clearly something for corporate sponsorship like you know, maybe Pepsi wants to launch a, you know, Pepsi 5 or or the iTunes 12, you know, whatever it was at the time, you know. Sure. Um, iPhone 12. Um, So I thought that actually New York State was probably going to have a bigger celebration than they – well, I thought they were going to have a bigger celebration than they certainly ended up having. Um, And also in 2008, when the time came for me to ask for money uh, from these corporations, that's when the – That's when the uh, global economic implosion happened, beginning with Mm -hmm. Bernie Madoff. And I had actually made some inroads, uh, in particular with um, uh, Rolling Rock and and Anheuser-Busch. But, you know, anybody I had spoken to, uh, all the companies, they were uh, just hemorrhaging money and nobody was going to part with anything. So I could either have let it die there or I could, you know, let it have another life, and that's what I did. So I took the recordings, which ultimately became the album, Mm -hmm. and uh, bridge music now exists as a public uh, art installation on the Mid-Hudson Bridge, um, it's in the one side is Poughkeepsie, New York, which is very easily, I mean, it's a short walk from the train station. It's the end of the, of the Metro North Line. And on the other side is Highlands, New York. And you walk out to each of the, of the towers, just suspension bridge, so there's two towers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, at each tower, there's a, uh, it's like a big jukebox with giant speakers, but with giant speakers, a sign, and, and buttons. And you can press it, and you can hear the music right on the bridge
3: that's really cool it is that's really neat
2: now i knew uh, that there would also be people who were afraid of heights or afraid of bridges or maybe they went to poughkeepsie and it's you know raining and hailing out and they didn't want to go out on, on the water so for those people um there's also a 24 7 uh radio transmission in the parks on both sides of the river and there are signs to tell you uh, to tune into 95.3 fm and it just loops so as long as you have a view of the bridge uh you can hear it either on the bridge or, you know, in your, in your car radio.
1: That's really cool also. That's neat. And it's a way to give the project a longevity beyond beyond the the, the release of the record, beyond you even, you know, it could be around forever. And that's, that's a really cool thing. Thank you. Um, my, I guess my follow-up question would be then, is there any plan to do something similar with Tower Music when it comes out?
2: Uh, Yeah, I, um, of course, proposed a live event originally to the Eiffel Tower, and we both knew that, uh, of course, I had to create the album, first I had to write the music. So, um, I'm going to Paris uh, October 26th to, uh, I'm partners with them, actually, if you can believe it. Um, Wow. And uh, I want to give them the uh, first uh, hearing as partners of the album. And uh, just present it to them, and you know, uh, then it, it'll it'll be released a few months later, and hopefully it'll be successful enough, and they'll be proud enough of it that um, it'll generate some heat, and we can go to the right kind of sponsors that would be able to finance uh, a live event. Now, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's a lot of money to spend for. You know, you could give that to the poor or something like that. And that is true. However, these big companies they have money that they've uh, allocated for um, for advertising. So mm-hmm. I feel if they're going to spend you know a few million dollars on advertising in a magazine, they might want to spend it creating a once-in-a-lifetime live concert on the Eiffel Tower.
1: Sure. I mean, that's as good. As, as, as far as I'm concerned, that's as good an ad as anything else.
2: <laughs> yeah, and right. it's better.
1: Better, I would say yes. Uh, it would definitely get attention, that's for sure. Um, especially in a YouTube generation world, I feel like something like that would live in perpetuity on the internet. If even clips of um, would 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 spread like wildfire. So so that answers my follow up question that I didn't get to ask. Is that the goal is first to do a live is to pursue a possible live show at the Eiffel Tower, and if that, uh, but at least you know if you can't make that happen for whatever reason, you do have other options and other ideas and, and, you know, interesting things that you can do with the music besides just selling the album and trying to get a concert, which is kind of nice to know that you have that knowledge.
2: Yeah, there you go.
1: Uh, um, So uh, is, was there ever anything, so obviously you've been playing music for a while in very, very different ways, which is always incredible to hear. A uh, prolific artist who has a variety of, of outputs, But was there ever anything else you wanted to do in the arts besides music, or was music kind of always the thing from from when you were were little?
2: Uh, I was a very good illustrator when I was a kid. I used to write my own comic books and draw them and write the storylines and stuff. Um, I thought for a few years there, Like I said said earlier, when the Beatles came out, I wanted to be a musician. And, you know, then I I was drawing already at that time as a little, little kid, and I just got better at it. And I always thought that I would be a a painter or an illustrator or something like that um, for many years. And um, then when I was, by the time I was nine, uh, of all things, actually I had an earache one day, and uh, I was home from school, and my... um, my godfather purchased a, uh, a record of the lives of the composers, and it was interspersed with clips from their music. It was the record, um, so I'd be and I was homesick, and they'd, they'd put the record player on, and that thing would, that side would play, you know, thirty, forty times, and they'd come in to check on me, and then they'd flip it over, and I'd hear that side 40 times, hmm. um, and so I said, you know, I want to be a composer because I like these stories, and I like that you can just. Take nothing. You can take, uh, you know, a chemical reaction of sound in your mind and turn it into sound. Um, I liked that idea, and from that point on, um, I told my parents I want to be a composer, which they interpreted to me. And I wanted to take piano lessons, <laughs> um, you know. And in, in my wisdom as a nine-year-old, I was like, "No, I don't want to take piano lessons. I want to be a composer." Um, so uh they said well you know it would be a good idea to know how to play an instrument if you wanted to to write music and you know i felt there was some some value in that viewpoint sure uh so i said all right um so i I, they delivered a piano and to the house and i had a couple piano lessons and then i got turned on to the organ i said i want to take organ um so
1: and the rest is history. history um so well, that, I mean, it's it's interesting to always kind of get frame of reference for an artist, especially with with a composer. You know, I've spoken to a lot of musicians, singer songwriters, and it's, it's, I feel a different perspective. Like the way you mentioned uh, music being a chemical reaction in the brain that causes sound that that you want to write. Like it's a, it's a very visceral way to describe it, which I really like. You know, it's very descriptive and and unique perspective. Okay. Um, so I guess the the next question I have is. Typically, I would ask a, uh, a singer-songwriter, well, now that the new album's coming out, are you going on tour? But obviously, this kind of is a whole different animal with the mm-hmm. talks of trying to put together a, um, a live show in the, in the foreseeable future. But do you do, like, for Bridge for Bridge Music and then for Tower Music Now, do you do any kind of press tour or kind of go from, from place to place to kind of, like, uh, debut it in places? Is that a thing that you would do for something like this?
2: hmm um you mean take the existing bridge music and the existing uh, tower music and and the closest i would come to that scenario would be like if i was invited to give a talk right at a college Um, okay yeah i mean it's um it's really that kind of a thing um i i have every every expectation that both bridge music and tower music will be done live sometime in the future even if it's way after I kick the bucket
3: <laughs>
2: um, you know it's uh, it, it's a long process but everything is everything is in place all we need is the, uh, uh, the, the really the financing so,
1: um, so um, I guess it's a little too soon to ask this but I feel like you're the type of person whose brain is constantly thinking and creating now that Uh, Tower music is ready to come out. You've done bridge music. Is there a next step? Is there another giant thing you want to create music with? Do you have any ideas for a future project, or are you kind of just focusing on the release of Tower music?
2: Well, right now I'm certainly just focusing on that that release. I mean, it's a few months away, so there's really nothing else in my wheelhouse. Um, um, I've done a couple of small um, uh, commercials um, you know, very different from uh, bridge music and terror music. Um, more standard type music. Um, it's not my life's ambition to go and play all well, the monuments of
3: the world. <laughs> you know. Okay.
2: Um, when I when I had the, the percussion uh, project, um, the Bronze Collection, I actually wrote a suite of pieces called the Seven Wonders of the World, and I thought it would be neat to go on tour with that and play at each of those locations um however you know one of those locations is in baghdad
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm not too sure
2: i want to go there right now
1: probably not a great place to go play a live uh gong suite
2: so um so uh, i i you know i have i have some beautiful orchestral music that I would like to see uh, performed. And I was actually, um, I had actually, this is funny, I hadn't thought about this. I had, before I started Tower uh, Bridge Music, um, before my wife took a swing at that poster, I was saying to myself, you know, Joe, you've written a lot of nice music, and you just don't want to keep writing new pieces. You, you want to go out and get it performed, especially if it's an orchestral piece. I don't have an orchestra. So sure. you, want to, you want to get it in front of, Conductors and, and, and performers.
3: <clears throat>
2: so my idea at the time was I was going to develop, uh, try to, try to develop those relationships and and get my music out that way. Then of course I was massively detoured by uh, bridge music and tower music. And so I think that um, you know one of the things that I want to do is try to get. Um, I've got this beautiful. Uh, a dance score for a large orchestra, which could work either as a as a uh, as a concert suite for orchestra, or it could work, you know, actually being staged uh, with, a, with a dance company. And I, you know, I would like to see that music get out in the world for the simple fact, not because that you know I wrote it and I got to get everything out there. Um, you know, you can't enjoy it if you don't know about it. You know.
3: Sure. Of course.
2: So, uh you're a little bit at a disadvantage if you write an orchestral piece and, and you know, it's different from writing a a piece for solo percussion or a solo piano organ piece or a small ensemble piece. So, um I would like to see those things uh those things uh you know perhaps happen as well. And if anybody wants me to come play the Sphinx, you know, <laughs> they can they can call me, we'll talk about it.
1: There you go. You know, just put that out there to the world. This will be on the Internet where anyone can find anything. So they know if they want you to come play a, a one of the Seven Wonders of the World, they should just give you a call and you'll you'll come. <laughs> um, I wanted to bring up something that I thought was really cool about Tower music in the album. Listening to it, the final track is, of course, you explaining the process, how you made it. Was that always something you wanted to include? On this kind of an album um, I, have, I haven't had the pleasure of listening To bridge music yet, though I will now Because of how much I loved tower music um, But did you do that for, for Bridge music as well, and was that always something You wanted to include so people knew the process Or is it something that came later?
2: No, no, I, 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 it was always my intention To um, have it, what, it what, you, what you're talking about, it's, they're called Audio tours, and
1: mm-hmm.
2: I actually Talk about, you know, here's the sound Of a handrail, and you hear bong And then you hear a short Uh, It's immediately followed by uh, a piece fading up in context. And because I just showed you what it sounded like in this short clip that fades up and fades out, you hear it playing. Right. You know, so if you're on the Eiffel Tower or you're on the bridge, you say, oh, you see that? I know what that sounds like. Um, And I wanted to give people an idea of uh, not only with the different types of sounds that were available, but trying to put them together. Um, I, I, I take some time in that in that audio tour to, to, sh- to let people know that I, just because I was getting sounds out of something didn't mean I had like even a complete scale of notes. Um, so I really had to write music to. I had to take something that was incomplete as an instrument and make it sound like it wasn't missing anything. And um, I figured that if people you know it's sort of it's not really an outtakes reel but it's sort of like a behind the scenes kind of a reel where they're introduced to the sounds and then they hear it in context and it gives them a greater appreciation for uh, the process just because it's 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 unusual it's not just like getting six flutes together and listen to what six flutes sound like you know
1: sure um well, I mean, I, I think what's really fascinating about that, especially in this podcasting world, is that, I mean, essentially the audio tour comes off very much like that because you're, you're, you're speaking very candidly about the process and about how you got the sounds and what they sounded like and how you worked it in and how the process works. And this is an age now where I think a lot of that stuff is a lot more popular because we have so much access on the Internet to how-tos and to find stuff. And so creating this music is one thing, but then giving people the knowledge and the wealth that if they had some way to play it or just hear some of the sounds, like you're giving them the tools to, to understand how you created it. And I think that's an invaluable uh, addition to tower music as a whole is giving people that kind of wherewithal to now I know how he made this music. I can go hit part of the Eiffel tower, maybe put my ear to it and I'll hear something similar, you know? And I think yeah, that yeah. that's very, very, to me, as someone who's now looking at this from the outside because I had not heard of it until Sarah to my attention, that this seems like it has boundless educational purposes just to me. I mean, it's one thing to take, teach classical pieces and teach standard, you know, contemporary music, but to teach people how to make music from something that you might not think you can make music from, I think, has a value in society that we've kind of never had anything like that before, which I think is really the most fascinating thing too.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I feel like, um, for sure, talking about doing talks at a college or something, I feel like there are definitely venues in New York, especially, um, like, I am, uh, as I'm sure you know, a fan of the Way Station, which is a local Brooklyn bar that's often filled with nerds. Um, A a talk about this at a place like that would probably go over, like, gangbusters, because I know I'm not the only music nerd in all of New York, so I feel like, that's the kind of place you can kind of like show place on the album, talk about it like that kind of a thing, and I I think people would really dig that.
2: Oh, very cool! I I uh, I hope that maybe now I can ask the uh, the owner if he would want to host an evening like that, sort of like a release release party or a uh, you know, uh, talk and can play the tracks. And things like that. Yeah, that would be cool.
1: I think for sure Hugh would. I think that you should uh, should definitely reach out to them, and if you want to cite me as a reference, I'd be happy to, because uh, I, I think, I, I personally think that there's a lot of power behind it. That would be very cool. Thank you.
3: Thank you very
1: much. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, I guess uh, the next thing I want to ask is, so since you've been composing for so long and you've done so many different things, you have this wealth of experience and knowledge, um, if you had to give advice about composing, I know these questions are kind of blanket and, and you know, kind of cliche but you i'm sure you must have learned something that no one ever told you when you were going through this process and learning how to write and creating this stuff is there any advice or knowledge you would share with up-and-coming composers who are trying to get started
2: um before i answer that question i gotta say we're making a we're making a couple of short promotional videos of the uh, you know of the music as you know as you do when an album comes out sure and it's it's their um they're like outtakes of not outtakes but they're they're clips of us recording the surfaces and um one of the uh one of one of the the clips in it I mean the music is playing but there's like one clip where I actually I I turn and I'm addressing the camera and I say they don't teach it us in music school <laughs> so yeah um to actually answer your question, uh, two things. If you're talking to somebody, you know, you, you gauge the the value or the, the use of your time with that conversation based on the, I think, on the, the nuance of the conversation. I mean, if you just stand back and forth and, and say cliches to each other, you didn't learn anything, you know, you didn't, uh, you didn't spend your time in, in an interesting way but if somebody you know uh, takes a different uh, approach to something and then you get to shade his answer with your answer and you, you work on that that's an interesting conversation if you're looking at a piece of um, a sculpture or an artwork you know there's there's the, the same kind of element if it's just the, the art of the conversation the art of the music the art of the sculpture the video the music whatever you're looking at um, you should, as a creative artist, I think, um, try to bring as much uh, contrast and, and color and depth into a piece. That doesn't mean that every piece has to, you know, some pieces are just going to be maybe, you know, uh, blanketly soft or blanketly loud, but not every piece that you write would be that way. You know, you want to have something that is going to engage the listener, so they want to hear it, a second time, and that only happens if there's nuance, if there's some depth to something. So I would say to any kind of artist, try to find that that depth, whatever that means to you. Um, and more specifically, for a composer, um, <clears throat> I've, I've had the, the luxury of having nearly everything I've written uh, performed, uh, of course, that ballet I was talking about earlier, which is called Bushko and Admira, by the way. Um, hmm. That piece hasn't been um, performed yet, but my other orchestral music has, and my vocal music and my solo music and stuff have been performed. If you, you know, if you just try to get your music on the stage, a lot of a lot of presenters, you know, they have musicians coming to them all the time, so they're kind of you know they're inured to you saying, "Hey, listen to my album. I want to play at your place." But if you go to a, a different kind of a venue where music is maybe not usually had, they might you know the money is probably still going to be the same, which might be nothing um, but uh, you will get um, you'll get the greater I think um, uh, visibility and, and specifically in my case, I thought that if I went to theater companies that were putting on straight plays that maybe they would want some background music hmm. And almost to a one, I, I can't think of when they didn't, they said, yeah, we would, you know, but it's going to cost us. And I said, well, you know, uh, either you've got to pay for the live musicians or you got to pay for a recording. They usually opted for the recording, which is, you know, cheaper. Sure. Um, for me, I was like, well, you know, I, I was doing, I was paying my dues. So I, I just wanted my name in the program. I wanted it. You know, uh, if they had pictures of the actors and the director, I wanted my picture in the window. Um, it was very low maintenance on their end. And I I got to the point where I had done several uh, theatrical plays like this, and my name was in the paper in the promotions for it. It was in the papers for the uh, – I'm going back to the days when newspapers – there were newspapers. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, you you want to get that visibility and get your name out there. Um because I was playing, you know, live in my band and stuff like that, but for this other kind of more um, uh, music with a, with a greater depth of expression, um, you know, you, you needed that venue. So I would uh, try to do these these shows, and like I said, most of the time they were like, yeah, we'd love to have it, and it doesn't seem really going to cost us very much. Uh, I, I would I would recommend to a composer try to find some kind of, venue where the music doesn't is not always the main thing and you'll have a better chance of getting your music done. Now, I have to tie that into the bridge and to the Eiffel Tower. I can't <laughs> tell you how many thousands of people uh, want to have their postcard with the image of the Eiffel Tower on it or they, they bring you know all these pr- uh, projects to the Eiffel Tower. And that's all they see. They see visual things. They very rarely do they get uh some other kind of uh pitch and and they have a protocol for that you know if you want to take a picture at night you go you have a license from us because the light show is copyrighted if you take it during the day you're okay they've got a whole protocol for this but both the bridge and the tower they have no protocol for you know playing Audio. music sure yeah. so it was like you know and I, in fact i asked them both times and i you know expected the answer i said okay do you have a like a best practices um, uh, book to follow. And they're like, no, it's, we've never done this before. <laughs> so, you know, I got to kind of like tailor it to what I wanted it to be. And I was very respectful of their needs and their their concerns. Um, and, you know, I think I cut through the noise because I wasn't another photographer. I wasn't another painter, another video uh, person as as, as and as wonderful as those art forms are, I just wasn't another one of them uh and because I had uh success with bridge music, um, I think they said okay let's let's see what can be done with our, our our thing and and the person who I don't know if I said this earlier, the person who recorded the Eiffel Tower um, a couple of years before me and put her album out um her music is more uh and, and all the precedents to uh bridge music and tower music in in terms of uh did I say this stuff already?
1: I don't think so.
2: Okay. Well, all the press, <laughs> all the precedents to like uh you know, playing a bridge or playing a, a structure of some sort, uh have all to my knowledge involved other instruments or processing. Right. Um Uh, and they kind of masked the sound. It was no way to tell if you were hearing the Eiffel Tower or the radiator
3: upstairs.
2: (laughs) And I think what appealed to them was that, um, you know, the aesthetic was, as you said, you kind of forget you're listening to this, like, really weird instrument and you're hearing music. Uh, They heard music out out of the bridge. And you could tell, I mean, you could tell that there wasn't processing going on. In fact, in the beginning of that audio tour that you talk about, I give this, this uh, A-B kind of uh, comparison as to what you could be hearing as opposed to what you are hearing. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that was a perfect example to go way, all the way back. It was a circuitous way of going back to your question. Going all the way back <laughs> to, um, you know, what could a musician do to, to have them have themselves stand out? Try to go to a a venue that's not about music, but that could use music, and and you know, start there. If nothing else, it enriches your your musicianship and your, your um, and your fun fun factor. Jeez.
1: Sure. What I it's funny as, as as cliche as that question is, and it's been around forever. I found at least the people that I talk to that I've still never heard the same answer twice, and that's what I think is fascinating about. The the, scape, the the landscape of music as it is now, that the options are just so much more than they were even years ago, and so the things you can create are so much more. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, Joe, to speak with me. Um, I've been excited since I heard about the project. It's, it's I mean, you are definitely the first person in the history of Crash Course Autographs to have played the Eiffel Tower, so... <laughs> I can safely say you are the only one. Um, cool. But uh, but before we wrap up, I would like to give you a chance to kind of promote Tower Music again. So give one more time the release date and where people can find it.
2: Okay. Uh, the album is called Tower Music slash Musique de la Tour. So either way you look up, you'll, you'll find it. It's on the Innova label, I-N-N-O-V-A. Uh and um the website is INNOVA dot M U. Uh the the album numbers are 933 nine hundred thirty three nine three three. It's coming out April twenty ninth, two thousand sixteen. Uh it'll be available, you know, uh, everywhere. Itunes, Amazon, uh, you know, in, in it, it it's it's got um you know distribution through Noxus. So it's uh it's available everywhere. My website is josephbertolosi.com, dot uh, icom dot com, where you can learn about bridge music as well as tower music. And uh, yeah, it'll it'll come out in downloads and and physical CD. And the artwork for the CD is stunning. I, I'm so happy with the artwork for the album. So,
1: Excellent. Well, thank you again for taking the time uh, to chat. Sincerely, this is an education and, and, and awesome composition as well as just great information and music in general. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, the interview will, it's, we have a bi-weekly, biweekly release. So it'll probably come out in November because we have a few banked episodes, but as sure. soon as it does, I will let you know so you can promote it as well. Um, and if you're ever in, Brooklyn, uh, for any reason, uh, it's where I reside. I'd happy to grab a drink in person, and I would love to be involved in any way you see fit for a record release if that happens at the way station, so keep you posted on that.
2: Cool, thank you. And we'll we'll have to do uh, Nerdy Oki some yes. Sunday night together, all right?
1: <laughs> I would enjoy that. I have not been to Nerdy Oki in a while, so, yes, I would definitely love to do that. That would be great. Well, thank you again, Joe, for taking the time, and you have a wonderful night. You're
3: welcome, man. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.
0: If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.